0: Romans 3 and verse 4b it says let God be true but every man a liar Hmm? oh the dichotomy between God and man God is absolute truth right but man we have been tainted by a sin nature and oftentimes we can fall into a place where we distort the truth in other words it's called a lie all right but let God be true and every man a liar and family, listen, there's a, this brief little uh, portion of Scripture and from Romans really sets up where there are two camps. There are only two camps, either God's camp or being under the influence of the evil one. There's no in-between, if you will. And so one, uh, one has a choice to be in one camp or the other, either to live by truth and, and strive to be truthful or to be under the influence of the evil one where we distort truth and deceive truth when we speak or interact with others. Listen to some scripture verses that give us insight into these two camps. John 14 6a says this, Jesus speaking, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is God, absolutely sinless, perfect, holy, and absolute truth. There is no darkness in him, no falseness in him. Amen? But listen to the adversary the second part of this john 844 b speaking of the devil it says he was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks his native language for he's the liar and the father of lies so we see the two camps absolute truth our lord and savior and the one who's got his cast over and shadow over this world the devil himself who is the father of lies it's a sad commentary that all men are born with a sin nature with a propensity, right, to give in to that nature and bear falsehood. And we've seen it. In our, uh, and there are consequences to our behaviors and actions when we give over to falsehood and we don't walk by the truth. And if we're honest with ourselves and with God, we all have a propensity to fib, to tell a lie. And if I ask to raise your hands, if nobody's ever said a lie in their life, and you raise your hand, I would ask you up to the front so we could pray for you for lying. All right? Because we've all lied. We've all told an untruth. Family truth and honesty have become a scarcity. Look Just look at society today. The term "fake news" just permeates everything. Fake news. This side says they're fake, this side says they're fake., Ay, deception lies and half-truths. We see it in the media amongst politicians.. Huh. Really? Uh, Business people, advertisers, salesmen, in marriages, and families, and so on and so forth. It seems to permeate every facet and rung of society where untruths are told. And we call them lies. However you want to wrap it, it's a lie, okay? For all humankind, as well as our institutions, we've been affected by our fallen nature and its influence. And and of the one who is currently over this world system, the father of lies. He's over this world system. Lying and deception are the essence of who he is. And the essence of the tools of his trade. And what happens is many people and institutions have fallen under the tricks of his trade. And bring forth falsehood and lying and untruths and mistruths to persuade or get something. And I'm getting ahead of myself. People will shade the truth, cheat, exaggerate the truth. And I'm going to put a plug for Dominic. It's tax season. As Christians, we need to be honest all right and paying our taxes remember jesus said give taxes to whom we own taxes and give to god what is god's all right so a lot of people are going to pin me to the wall later we make promises with no intentions of keeping them we make up excuses blame others betray confidences and this seems to be a pattern that we see in our society today if we could easily ask the question who can we trust and who is trustworthy and i pray that we would want to be the people that someone says, "Well, I can trust." Amen? Amen. And church, this becomes the basis of Jesus's next antithetical statement that he will again, he's going to refute the teachings of men. I can't believe as I study the Sermon on the Mount and, and these things how the, in the Mishnah and the traditional teachings of the, of the Pharisees and stuff how they distort and pervert the truth to benefit themselves to get so far away from the Word of God. All right. So with all that said, let's look at this next antithetical statement that's going to speak to being truthful and it's found in Matthew 5 verses 33 to 37. So if you turn there, we'll read it together. Ah, Okay, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago... Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything beyond that comes through the evil one. Now, as we get into this, it almost seems like Jesus is contradicting himself. Because in uh, Matthew 5.18, he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But we do see in the law, in the word of God, that, we're, that oaths were taken. God himself made an oath to Abraham. So we see in the law that oaths were taken. So what's the Lord doing here? He's saying, don't make any oaths at all. All right? Let your yes be yes, your no be no, or anything else comes from the evil one. So what's going on here? Well, we have to look a little further and see that what Jesus did is he took three sk- scriptures um, and what the rabbis did and kind of compiled them together to come up with their own teaching their own tradition on how to interpret these three scriptures they found in leviticus 19 numbers 32 and deuteronomy 23 listen to what they say clear indication leviticus 19 says this do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the, of, of your god i am the lord numbers 30 Verse 2 says this, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, must but do everything he said. And Deuteronomy twenty-three twenty-one says this, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. Now this gives us a better comprehension of Jesus' statement. We must understand that there are there are two different words here used in these three scriptures in the Greek. The first means to describe any kind of perjury or swearing falsely. So we're not supposed to tell any kind of lie to perjure ourselves or to swear falsely. And the second one means this, to enclose with a fence, to bind together. So when this oath was being made or something he was stating, it was like there was something around it binding it and closing it in that it was supposed to be absolute truth of what you were saying, all right? Now, listen carefully. Um, The Mosaic law forbade irreverent oaths using the Lord's name in vain. An irreverent oath or, or breaking of vows. You were forbidden to break a vow if you invoked God's name in putting that fence around it and binding what you said. So that's exactly what happened. if they made an oath and invoked the name of the Lord as if God himself was binding that oath, putting that fence around what you said, that you were to keep it. And if you did not, you would stand under his judgment, not just maybe the judgment of the person that you were making the oath to, but under God's judgment. Now let me explain something. And we're going to use a script from Hebrews 6. So if you want to turn there, it's Hebrews 6, verse 13 to 18. It says, when God made his promise to Abraham, he made his oath to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God made the oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. What we see here is God making an oath to Abraham, and he swears by himself because there's no one greater to swear by than the absolute truth, who is God, right? But we're not God. We're men, and we lie. So what we're saying in the scriptures is that you want to make an oath, and if you want to make sure that it's absolutely going to be fulfilled and confirmed, We invoke the name of the Lord, and by doing that, you are bound to it. Not only bound to completing it, but if you don't, there will be judgment, all right? So now, and in verse 16, that's why it says it's an end to every dispute, because it invited judgment on somebody if they did not keep their vow or oath that invoked the name of the Lord, all righty? So, and the judgment would come by the Lord himself because his name was used to confirm it. All right, listen, I know this is a little heady this morning. All right, if someone made an oath, listen carefully, confirming it by invoking the Lord's name, they were bound to fulfill it or they would come under his judgment. If they did not, or if there was false pretense behind the vow or oath, and they never fulfilled it, then they would come under the judgment of God so by using his this i want to get the point if we invoke the name of god we're bound by that so now watch how they twisted this so if we look at the scripture that jesus is talking to it says this it says um do not break your oath but fulfill to the lord the vows you have made Hmm, fulfill to the lord so in other words it kind of twisted a little bit in saying if you make a vow to the lord you have to fulfill it But if you use that oath formula, you really don't have to keep it to the person you made it to. They were twisting the word. It's not invoking the Lord to be a witness, nor is he making a binding agreement to another party, but instead he's making that agreement to the Lord. So in other words, if they made a vow to the Lord, they have to keep it. But if they made it to somebody else, they did not. They twisted it. All right. All right. So let's look at the loopholes here. There are two loopholes that we find in this rabbinic teaching. The first is this, all right. And it's found in the statement that Jesus, in the second part of the statement, when he says, "Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you made." Listen carefully. The second part of the statement, to the Lord. The Lord is the point of emphasis. That's what I'm trying to bring out. If you make the vow to the Lord, you have to keep it, but it doesn't mean you have to keep it to the other person. So you're being deceptive to them. They're thinking you're making a vow in the name of the Lord, invoking his name, but you're really not. And it's being deceptive. And this is what they were doing. The second thing is this, look, the word uh, oath actually means do not perjure. So as long as you didn't lie under oath, it didn't matter. As long as you were on oath, you could be deceptive and not fulfill what you were saying. It was another loophole. So in these, in these things that the rabbis were teaching, there were various loopholes where you didn't have to fulfill your vow. That you didn't have to do what you said you were going to do it was a way out all right so they would make these those and not fulfill it and then they said well we didn't invoke the name of the lord so we're not guilty but they were being deceptive to the other party which is uncool all right and so the lord goes on and says this you have heard it said but now i tell you don't take an oath at all And is he saying that there shouldn't be oaths? Yes, because God made oaths, the Lord made oaths, the Old Testament, New Testament. But he's saying, if you're going to be deceptive in using some oath formula to make an oath or a vow, don't do it at all. Don't do it at all, because you're going to, you will come under the Lord's judgment for lying. The Lord is negating oath formulas, if you will, that at the core of their intentionality is deception that gave the other party, right? the impression that they were going to do this thing, keep this thing, when they had no intent on doing it at all because they didn't invoke God's name. They just used a a formula that was concocted by the the teachings and traditions of men with no intent of being honest, but by being dishonest. And that dishonors the name of our Lord and Savior. All right? And so he goes on, the Lord Jesus, in verse 34 to 36, he will continue to debunk this system of loophole oath-taking Listen to what he says again. It says, Do not swear an oath either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great God and king. And Do not swear by your head, because you can't even make one hair white or black. And look at the background. I want to give you some background here. By that point, when, uh, in the first century, when Jesus was walking the earth, by the law and the traditions of men, at this point, only the high priest could use the name of the Lord during the Day of Atonement and only the priests in Jerusalem can invoke the Aaronic blessing and use the name of the Lord. Any other use or saying God's name was blasphemy. We got a problem here. So if you're supposed to invoke the name of the Lord to make an oath but if you do it's blasphemy and you'll get stoned for it guess what? They wouldn't invoke the name of the Lord. They would use these oath formulas and make that promise null and void, null and void, right? You guys are all looking at me like i got eight heads. All right, so (laughs) think about it. In order, ready, this is a Robbism here. In order for an oath or a vow to be binding, you must invoke the name of the Lord But if you do, you're guilty of blasphemy, which is a capital offense. So therefore now a substitution was made that had no credibility of keeping the oath. And this is what they did. Turn to Matthew 23, 16 to 22. And that's why the Lord rebukes this. And we're getting there. We're getting there. We're going to get to the good stuff in a minute. It says, woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes it sacred? You also say if someone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes it sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by everything on it, and anyone who swears by the temples, swears by it and by the one who dwells in it and anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it what he's saying here is look you're getting it wrong you're swearing by the gold or this it's God who dwells there who put his name there he's the one who makes it sacred and holy so by swearing to these things in fact you are making an oath in the name of the Lord because he's the one who sits there so he calls them blind guides and blind fools And what he wants, he wants them to look into their hearts and see that they shouldn't make these deceptive oaths because it's a heart issue. He wants them to speak in truth and honesty. That's why he says that you yes be yes and you no be no. It's that what we speak from the heart, it's going to be exactly what we mean and exactly what we say. There shouldn't be anything to 16 to 17. It says, these are the things you ought to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against another. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. He hates falsehood. He's the father of truth. He's absolute truth. Amen? And Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 says this. There are six things, ready the Lord hates that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, oh, maybe some hands that shed innocent blood. I wanted to stop here. Not getting political, but thank God, this is the first president who ever stood for the right to life. Our country should not be shedding innocent blood. There are consequences. And to go on in 18, it says, A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are the to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Hates lying. Hates deception. Proverbs 12, The Lord detests lying lips. Ready? But he delights in people who are trustworthy. Amen. He delights in those who are trustworthy. But he hates lying lips. So with all that said, how can we make practical application for this whole rigmarole around about the deceptive oaths, that the uh, the traditions of men, and that God wants us to be trustworthy and honest? Well, let's look at four W questions, if you will. And we're going to look at, why do people lie? Why do people lie? To whom can our lies be directed? What can we categorize as a lie? And how do we overcome or refrain from lying or bearing a false testimony? Well, the first one is kind of easy. As we said, as human beings, we're all born with a sin nature. So we have a propensity to do that which is contrary to the word of God. We will lie, right? We're also surrounded by a society that's under the influence of the devil. Read the scriptures. He's, given, he's been given domain over the earth, and he's the father of lies, all right? But usually, when we do tell a half-truth, myth-truth, lie, whatever you want to call it, it's in order to satisfy one of our own desires or gain something that might be unattainable if we don't fabricate or tell an untruth. So we're looking to gain system. The other reason we may lie is to protect ourselves from the consequences of our own choices, words, or behaviors. We try to, oh, I didn't really say that. Oh, no, I didn't really mean that. We try to finagle out of it. So as human beings, we will tell untruths. Self-preservation at any cost lies at the root of our sin nature we will protect ourselves because we are number one to ourselves within our sin nature amen hold me and let's not be the dead horse so let's move on to our second point it's this whom can we direct our lives and lies and that's pretty easy to ourselves to others and to God and that covers all the bases really? look at these and get a clear understanding of what I'm saying first of all we can lie to ourselves when we're confronted or challenged by someone concerning an area we may have erred or where our words or actions were deceptive, again, for our own benefit or for protection, we're going to come up in kind of a quick white lie or something so that we can get out of it and not incur someone else's judgment or wrath, if you will. And in our response, usually what we try to do is rationalize or justify why we told this mistruth or half-truth, but it's still a lie in God's eyes, Yes. And by doing so, we will lie to others in order to protect ourselves, our position, or our possessions. And ultimately, who are we lying to? We're lying to God because he hears every word, he knows every motive, right? He knows all things, he's omniscient, so ultimately we're lying to him. Allah, Ananias and Sapphira. We all know about Ananias and Sapphira, most of us do. Please turn to Acts chapter 5 and let's look at this example. An example, have two people lie to themselves, they lied to others, and they lied to God. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now what they were doing is, they were selling property, giving it to the apostles, and they were using it to benefit others. So they said, oh, Barnabas do this? So they figured they'd try to do the same. They saw the accolades that Barnabas was getting, so they said, hey, why not? Let's sell some property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought it to the uh, apostles and put it at their feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that uh, that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So what do we see happening already? They lied to Peter and the apostles, and they lied to God. He says, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit, right? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold, and after it was sold, wasn't it? the money at your disposal what made you do such a thing you have not lied just to men but to God when Ananias heard this he fell down and he died and great fear seized all who heard what happened then some young men came forward wrapped up his body carried him out three hours later his wife came not knowing what had happened Peter asked her, tell me is this the price you and Ananias got for the land yes she said that's the price and Peter said liar liar pants on fire (laughs) seriously How could you conspire and test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and then she dropped dead also. Why? Lied to themselves, they lied to the apostles, and they lied to God. Family, this portion of scripture covers all the bases. Without going through the motives of why they did such a thing, right? They weren't honest with themselves, they weren't honest with the apostles, they weren't honest with God. And there were consequences for their deception. They both was struck down by the Lord now you may say that this is kind of harsh but remember this is the beginning of the church and God was letting them know that this is not going to happen in my body that you are going to be deceptive and lie so he set a pretty harsh example but let them know that the people who are called by my name are going to be trustworthy they're going to be honest they're going to be people of integrity and if not there will be consequences Amen. Now, none of us who have told fibs or lies have been struck down, but he wanted to let the church know, this ain't going to happen within my body. So they, they were made an example of, but it's an example for us. We have to be careful not to do the same kinds of things, to have the same kinds of attitudes or carry out the same kind of actions or behaviors that would illustrate deception and lies because the Lord desires truthfulness and honesty from his people. And we have to avoid justifying and rational, rationalizing away the truth because it may lead to further consequences. A lie built on a lie built on a lie, and all of a sudden you find yourself down a bad road, yes? What we need to do is confess when confession is needed, ask forgiveness when forgiveness is needed, and then move forward, all right, move forward. And there's nobody, by doing it God's way, We can't blame anybody else for the consequences because we realize that it began with us. Things don't happen in the future with further consequences that could come out of this. Is that you realize there are consequences for your actions and you won't do them in in the future. You'll try to curb and look to tell the truth all the time so that there aren't consequences in the future. Honesty and integrity, church, need to be at the root of our words our attitudes, our behaviors, our motives, our actions, our relationships with others. We need to be honest with one another, right? And this is why. Because we carry the name of Jesus Christ, who is absolute truth and righteousness. We represent him. Amen? Any, any of you oldies in here that remember the old Billy Joel song, Honesty, it says this. Honesty is such a lonely word. Everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard. And family, this may be true for people in the world, but it cannot be true for the disciple of Christ. We have to be honest, truthful, and people of integrity. All right, so let's go on to practical application number three and things that we need to be aware of that could come under this idea of lying or falsehood that could damage somebody else. First of all, it's what I call the, 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 sorry, the destructive lie. Very simply... It's a lie born out of malicious intent. You're telling a lie so that you will hurt somebody or damage somebody else's reputation, etc. And a good example of this is, if we were to look at Genesis 39, is Joseph in Potiphar's house, right? Joseph's in Potiphar's house. He's in charge of the household. Everybody's gone. Mrs. Potiphar is there, and she says, "Come to bed with me." And he says, "No." And he says how can i do such a thing and sin against god and what she does is accuse him of rape it's a destructive lie she blatantly accuses him and i really believe that Potiphar knew she was lying because he should have been killed but what does Potiphar do he puts him in his prison that he's in charge of and puts him in charge of the prison i think he knew his wife was lying but the destructive lie there that tarnished this man and sent him to prison meanwhile you know he was a slave yes but he was in charge of part of his household he had a pretty good thing going even though he was a slave now he's in the, the crowbar hotel all right so what i'm saying is that we have to be careful that we don't have this kind of destructive intent and lie about things that could really harm another person amen point is that there's no room for us as christians to make such an accusation that would damage another human being all righty? And let's look at some words that, that we can consider that do these kinds of devastation. Slander, which is basically defined as communication of false statements to be injurious to another person. We say things, right, when there might be a little truth behind it, but it's really lying in order to benefit ourselves and bring the other person down. There is no room for that in the Christian's vocabulary. And so or about someone to another party, Right. And it's a little bit of truth, but a lot of lie in order to bring them down. And why? It's usually for personal gain. I want to get this position at work. I want to move up in the political ladder. So we, may, we intently say lies about people to tarnish them, to mar them. Should have watched the uh, political stuff last week. Oh my Lord, filled with lies and deception. Holy Christmas. All right, But there's no place for that in the heart of the Christian. And let's go on. Another subtle term, but so dangerous, insinuation. You put a couple of those little seeds in there to make the person's mind start thinking something negative about someone else. It's terrible, but insinuation can do a lot of damage. All right? It sows the seeds of doubt about the person's character, their reputation, etc. And now when you look at them, you see them in a different light because those seeds are already planted up here, and they're damaging. And I, I, An example I use is from Job chapter 1. Verses 9 to 11. Look what it says, what Satan did to Job. This is Satan speaking to God. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, though that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he'll surely curse you to his face. He was trying to plant seeds of insinuation in God's mind. He's only serving you because you bless him. Strike him and see what happens. Making him what? Think that there was something poor in, in Job's personality that he was only doing it for personal gain, serving God. So it's an insinuation. Oh, and here's the favorite one, we're all guilty of. Gossip. And this is where we present personal sensationalized facts or rumors about someone that really weren't meant to be passed on. Someone may talk to you in confidence and that information is not meant to be passed on and sometimes we sensationalize it to get a rise out of somebody else or to really damage another human being and it's not, it shouldn't be. And to be real, it, it often affects us. Who's going to want to be around the gossip monger? You're not going to trust him. You're not going to want him as part of your conversation or you're in a circle. And worse than that, who wants to be disciplined by the Lord for being a gossip monger because he hates gossip? So it's a double-edged, you know, consequence there. People won't want to be around this. We'll be disciplined by the Lord, and there's no room for it. So we see that any of this stuff is not acceptable in God's eyes. So let's go on and look at something I call the defensive lie, which I've alluded to already. This is simply to lie to protect ourselves or our reputations, our livelihood. And it's a premeditated, blatant lie. But we're trying to do it to protect ourselves. And to get a good idea of this, again, let's go back to Joseph and his brothers. Here's Joseph. Now, his dad was wrong. He was his father's favorite, so he makes him this nice, beautiful, multicolored coat. And he goes out and says, go check out what your brothers are doing. When he comes back with a bad report, how do you think that went with his brothers? They were upset with him. Who's this little punk come out and check on this and and go back to dad and tell him what we're doing wrong? So here he comes again to check on his brothers. They get him. They throw him in his sister and they were going to leave him for dead. But instead, they pull him up, sell him to Midianites, and they go back to their dad, deceptive, and say, oh, this must be your son's coat. It's full of blood. He was probably eaten by wild animals. And Jacob's response, he goes, I want to die. That deceptive lie hurt that man, hurt Jacob, even though God was working that all out in his plan. But that deceptive lie of the brothers was to cover their tracks so that the father would know exactly what happened, that they sold this kid into slavery but it hurt Jacob. Deceptive lives hurt. They hurt. They can hurt others. Do you hear me? Family, a destructive lie, deceptive lie will cause pain and heartache at some point, and its poison is going to affect us and others. All right, two more terms. The defective lie. And what do I mean by this? It's simply when we misconstrue the truth in order to build ourselves up. Basically, it's called what? boastfulness and you guys said Sal said it before speaking of one's abilities accomplishment in order to make ourselves look better in order for again to secure a position keep a position get a position whatever it is to look better in somebody's eyes and I like what Sal said this morning in first Corinthians 131 says this boast in the Lord do you realize any gift talent ability we have comes from God anyway so how can we boast in our own accomplishments or attributes God gives it to us, not for us to boast, but to bring him glory and honor. The voice you got, Sal, is to bring Christ glory and honor. Thank you for using your gifts. Others, Joni, what you're doing in your your special ed background, bringing after buddy break, it's going to bring him glory and honor. Amen? As these people come to know the Lord. Whatever we do, those attributes are to glorify him, not to get a pat on the back and, hey, you're just great. No, he's great. He's just allowed me these gifts and talents to bring him glory and honor. And listen to Proverbs 27.2. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. All right? If someone's going to give you, say you did a good job, let it come from someone else. But be careful. Be careful. Because that can become a way of using flattery. Flattery, right? Insincere and excessive applied so to get something from somebody else oh wow you're just the greatest boss in the world i could really use that raise you know what i mean so we flatter somebody to get some kind of benefit and i'm not talking about building another person up we're supposed to do that we're supposed to build each other up in the lord encourage each other but let it be sincere sincere amen you know you can send an anonymous note to somebody thank you for your ministry and they don't even have to know who it's from, but you're building them up and encouraging them, all right? And we'll go full circle to what I call a deceptive lie, and that is when we blatantly distort the truth in one form or another with no intent on keeping what we said. And I'm sure some of us, the contractor who takes payment and never returns to finish the job. Don't you love those guys? Oh yeah, we'll be back, we'll do this, do this, oh yeah, thanks for the last payment, you never hear from them again. Just follow the news. How many contractors after Sandy were getting uh, bagged for not f- uh, finishing their work? And how about this one? Someone borrows money. And, oh, yeah, I'll pay you back. No intent to pay you back. They're never going to pay you back. I got bagged a couple of weeks ago. I'm such a mush. My wife yells at me. One of these, I guess, recent parolees came into the church. Oh, gave me a song and a dance. So I went out and I got him a gas card, food card. He was going to come to church with his wife, Marietta. I still remember her name. Never showed up. He got me. No intent. But that's a, a deceptive lie. Amen? And we could go on and on with these. But listen. These <coughs> Examples of lying, perjury, truths, half truths. Jesus gives one final statement. He says, all you need is let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because he's talking to the heart of the disciples. The heart of the apostles. And his bottom line is this. He says, What you say, what you do, should be based in all honesty and truthfulness. Our yes should mean yes, our no should mean no. Our word is our bond with full assurance to the listener that we're speaking the truth and not maligning it in any way that will benefit us or be to their detriment. Yes be yes, no be no. Amen. And let me explain it. Jesus is not stating that we shouldn't make oaths because they, happen. they happened in the Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus made an oath. Truly or truly, I say unto you, the Father made an oath. What he's saying, and we see them even in, in, in today, we see them in the courts of law. We make an oath to tell the truth. In marriage ceremonies, oaths of office. But the intent behind them is to carry out what we said. When we make our marriage vows, we don't go there saying, you know what? A couple of weeks, I'm out of here. You know, I'm just going to say these vows, and then I'm, going, you know, I'm out of here. We don't do that. We go into marriage hoping that, oh, we love this person. It's going to last, and we, we say these things. And as you've heard the last two weeks, marriage is very important. But we don't go in there with an intent of breaking. They know in their heart it's untruthful or at the bottom if they're going to break it and not keep it. That's what he's speaking to. Our Lord is not speaking against such things where there's true intent and a righteous motive. Amen? So let's finish up well um, how do we overcome this propensity of sin and how do we tell the truth first and foremost got to have faith in Christ you got to be born again the Holy Spirit has to indwell because our nature is a propensity to do what's wrong to lie to tell untruths to protect ourselves but by faith in Christ we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit with new creations with a new nature and we can do things like Jesus, because the power of God now lives within us. Amen? So if you want to be someone who's going to walk in truth and honesty and integrity, we have to emulate the one who walks in truth and honesty and integrity. And that's Jesus Christ. And we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death our flesh and walk in his power, to walk in honesty, to walk in integrity, to walk in truth if we desire to become more like Christ, which is God's ultimate goal for us, to be molded into the image of his Son, who is absolute truth. So the things that we say when we give our word, and I can tell you, and I don't want to point anybody out, but there are men that I hang out with from this church, and when they say thus and such, they mean thus and such. Amen? And I notice their bond. All righty? All right, third, use the put off and put on formula that's found in Ephesians where we put off the old nature. We don't leave a void, but put on the new. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.25. You must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So we put behind the lies, but we purpose in prayer to be truthful in the things that we do. And if we're in a moment, come on, we've all been in a heat of the moment and a poof, little white lie, which is a lie. Go back and make it right with the person. Say, look, you know, I was caught in a moment, and you make it right. All right? You repent and make it right. And listen to Ephesians four twenty nine. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, the slander, the gossip, the malice, whatever you want to call it, but only what is good for building others up according to their need. You can have criticism. You know, Sal could come to me and talk to me one way, like, hey, you know, and it could be constructive or it can come maliciously and it can be destructive. So how we approach people to give them that criticism can be constructive or destructive. It's how we word it and how we approach it, amen? So we have to be careful. And then there's one last one, and I love this one. I wish I could get it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. As I've taught you guys, 10 second rule, before you open the proverbial boca, think about what your words will do before you act think about what your actions will do and it may keep you from a ton of consequences husbands wives alright yeah so think about it because look look what it says in Proverbs ten nineteen, where words are many sinners not far off alright I love Matt up in the booth he's a man of very few words I never know what he's thinking if he wants to love me or beat me with a pipe People of honesty, integrity, and truthfulness. And the question each of us has to ask ourselves is do we walk, do we talk, do we live our motives, attitudes, actions according to the principle of the Father of truth? Or do we walk, live, and talk under the influence of the Father of lies? What camp do you want to be in? What camp are you in? And I'll end with this if we say we're a Christian, the answer to the question that I just asked is obvious. But we have to ask, is it true in my life and your life that we walk in truthfulness and honesty and integrity? And if we don't, we must purpose to repent and replace those attitudes and behaviors with Christ-like qualities of being truthful, being honest, being people of integrity. Put off the old, put on the new. Amen? That we would walk by our That when we speak to somebody and we tell them, we're going to do this, I'm going to fulfill that. We do it because our word is our word and our bond is our bond. Amen. We don't need an oath. We don't need a vow because people should know that from our hearts we're going to be truthful with them. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, my God, that through the power of your spirit we can overcome deception and lies and the slanders and all the things that will come out of the heart. For it says, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And Lord, by the power of your spirit that we are new creations in you, we can have a new nature, we can emulate you, we can talk in, in truthfulness, Lord. We can strive to be honest and people of integrity that would bring glory and honor to you and would help us to be salt and light in a world that's tainted by lies and deceptions and falsehood. Lord, I pray for each one here that we would purpose to walk in honesty, to walk in truthfulness, to walk in integrity. So that we will be an influence on others in the workplace, in our homes, in our community. That they would see Christ in us and wonder, why is this person different? And we can share the gospel of the living God with them, Lord, that they would come to know you also. Help us to make a change in the sphere of influence that you have put us. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. And we ask all this, Father, in the name of your precious son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.